0: Part three, Chapter forty six of Thus Spake Zarathustra by Friedrich Nietzsche, translated by Thomas Common. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. THE VISION AND THE ENIGMA. One When it got abroad among the sailors that Zarathustra was on board the ship (for a man who came from the Happy Isles had gone on board along with him) there was great curiosity and expectation. But Zarathustra kept silent for two days, and was cold and deaf with sadness, so that he neither answered looks nor questions. On the evening of the second day, however, he again opened his ears, though he still kept silent. For there were many curious and dangerous things to be heard on board the ship, which came from afar, and was to go still further. Zarathustra, however, was fond of all those who make distant voyages, and dislike to live without danger and behold when listening his own tongue was at last loosened and the ice of his heart broke then did he begin to speak thus to you the daring venturers and adventurers and whoever hath embarked with cunning sails upon frightful seas to you the enigma intoxicated the twilight enjoyers whose souls are allured by flutes to every treacherous gulf. For ye dislike to grope at a thread with cowardly hand, and where ye can divine, there do ye hate to calculate. To you only do I tell the enigma that I saw, the vision of the lonesomest one. Gloomily walked I lately in corpse-colored twilight, gloomily and sternly, with compressed lips, not only one sun had set for me. A path which ascended daringly among boulders, an evil, lonesome path, which neither herb nor shrub any longer cheered, a mountain path crunched under the daring of my foot. Mutely marching over the scornful clinking of pebbles, trampling the stone that let it slip, thus did my foot force its way upwards upwards in spite of the spirit that drew it downwards toward the abyss the spirit of gravity my devil and arch enemy upwards although it sat upon me half dwarf half mole paralyzed paralyzing dripping lead in mine ear and thoughts like drops of lead into my brain oh, Zarathustra! It whispered scornfully, syllable by syllable. Thou stone of wisdom, thou threwest thyself high, but every thrown stone must fall. O oh, Zarathustra, thou stone of wisdom, thou slingstone, thou star-destroyer, thyself threwest thou so high, but every thrown stone must fall condemned of thyself and to thine own stoning o zarathustra far indeed threwest thou thy stone but upon thyself will it recoil then was the dwarf silent and it lasted long the silence however oppressed me and to be thus in pairs one is verily lonesomer than when alone i ascended i ascended i dreamt i thought but everything oppressed me a sick one did i resemble whom bad torture wearieth and a worse dream reawakeneth out of his first sleep but there is something in me which i call courage it hath hitherto slain for me every dejection this courage at last bade me stand still and say dwarf thou or I for courage is the best slayer courage which attacketh for in every attack there is sound of triumph man however is the most courageous animal thereby hath he overcome every animal with sound of triumph hath he overcome every pain human pain however is the sorest pain courage slayeth also giddiness at abysses and where doth man not stand at abysses is not seeing itself seeing abysses courage is the best slayer courage slayeth also fellow-suffering fellow-suffering however is the deepest abyss As deeply as man looketh into life, so deeply also doth he look into suffering. Courage, however, is the best slayer, courage which attacketh. It slayeth even death itself, for it saith, Was that life? Well, once more. In such speech, however, there is much sound of triumph, he who hath ears to hear let him hear two halt dwarf said i either i or thou i however am the stronger of the two thou knowest not mine abysmal thought it couldst thou not endure then happened that which made me lighter for the dwarf sprang from my shoulder the prying sprite And it squatted on a stone in front of me there was however a gateway just where we halted look at this gateway dwarf i continued it hath two faces two roads come together here these hath no one yet gone to the end of this long lane backwards it continueth for an eternity and that long lane forward that is another eternity they are antithetical to one another these roads they directly abut on one another and it is here at this gateway that they come together the name of the gateway is inscribed above this moment but should one follow them further and ever further and further on thinkest thou dwarf that these roads would be eternally antithetical? "'Everything straight lieth,' murmured the dwarf contemptuously. "'All truth is crooked. Time itself is a circle.' "'Thou spirit of gravity,' said I wrathfully, "'do not take it too lightly, or I shall let thee squat where thou squattest haltfoot, and I carried thee high.' observe continued i this moment from the gateway this moment there runneth a long eternal lane backwards behind us lieth an eternity must not whatever can run its course of all things have already run along that lane must not whatever can happen of all things have already happened, resulted, and gone by? And if everything have already existed, what thinkest thou, dwarf, of this moment? Must not this gateway also have already existed? And are not all things closely bound together in such wise that this moment draweth all coming things after it? Consequently, itself also for whatever can run its course of all things also in this long lane outward must it once more run and this slow spider which creepeth in the moonlight and this moonlight itself and thou and i in this gateway whispering together whispering of eternal things must we not all have already existed and must we not return and run in that other lane out before us that long weird lane must we not eternally return thus did i speak and always more softly for i was afraid of my own thoughts and arrear thoughts Then suddenly did I hear a dog howl near me. Had I ever heard a dog howl thus? My thoughts ran back. Yes, when I was a child, in my most distant childhood. Then did I hear a dog howl thus, and saw it also with hair bristling, its head upwards, trembling in the stillest midnight, when even dogs believe in ghosts so that it excited my commiseration. For just then went the full moon, silent as death, over the house. Just then did it stand still, a glowing globe, at rest on the flat roof, as if on someone's property. Thereby had the dog been terrified, for dogs believe in thieves and ghosts and when i again heard such howling then did it excite my commiseration once more where was now the dwarf and the gateway and the spider and all the whispering had i dreamt had i awakened twixt rugged rocks did i suddenly stand alone dreary in the dreariest moonlight But there lay a man. And there, the dog leaping, bristling, whining, now did it see me coming. Then did it howl again, then did it cry. Had I ever heard a dog cry so for help? And verily what I saw the like had I never seen. A young shepherd did I see writhing, choking, quivering, with distorted countenance and with a heavy black serpent hanging out of his mouth. "'Had I ever seen so much loathing and pale horror on one countenance? "'He had perhaps gone to sleep. "'Then had the serpent crawled into his throat? "'There had it bitten itself fast. "'My hand pulled at the serpent and pulled, in vain. "'I failed to pull the serpent out of his throat. "'Then there cried out of me, "'Bite! Bite its head off! Bite!' So cried it out of me, my horror, my hatred, my loathing, my pity, and all my good and my bad cried with one voice out of me. Ye daring ones around me, ye venturers and adventurers, and whoever of you have embarked with cunning sails on unexplored seas, ye enigma enjoyers, solve unto me the enigma that I then beheld. Interpret unto me the vision of the lonesomest one. For it was a vision and a foresight. What did I then behold in parable? And who is it that must come some day? Who is the shepherd into whose throat the serpent thus crawled? Who is the man into whose throat all the heaviest and blackest will thus crawl? The shepherd, however, bit as my cry had admonished him. He bit with a strong bite. Far away did he spit the head of the serpent, and sprang up. No longer shepherd. No longer man. A transfigured being, a light-surrounded being, that laughed. Never on earth laughed a man as he laughed. Oh, my brethren! I heard a laughter which was no human laughter, and now gnaweth athirst at me, a longing that is never allayed. My longing for that laughter gnaweth at me. Oh, how can I still endure to live, and how could I endure to die at present? Notes by Anthony M. Ludovici The vision and the enigma is perhaps an example of Nietzsche in his most obscure vein. We must know how persistently he inveighed against the oppressing and depressing influence of man's sense of guilt and consciousness of sin, in order to fully grasp the significance of this discourse. Slowly but surely he thought the values of Christianity and Judaic traditions had done their work in the minds of men. What were once but expedients devised for the discipline of a certain portion of humanity had now passed into man's blood and had become instincts. This oppressive and paralyzing sense of guilt and of sin is what Nietzsche refers to when he speaks of the spirit of gravity. This creature, half dwarf, half mole, whom he bears with him a certain distance on his climb and finally defies, and on whom he calls his devil and arch enemy, is nothing more than the heavy millstone guilty conscience, together with the concept of sin which at present hangs round the neck of men. To rise above it, to soar, is the most difficult of all things today. Nietzsche is able to think cheerfully and optimistically of the possibility of life in this world recurring again and again when he has once cast the dwarf from his shoulders, and he announces his doctrine of the eternal recurrence of all things, great and small, to his arch-enemy and in defiance of him That there is much to be said for Nietzsche's hypothesis of the eternal recurrence of all things great and small, nobody who has read the literature on the subject will doubt for an instant, but it remains a very daring conjecture notwithstanding and even in its ultimate effect as a dogma on the minds of men i venture to doubt whether nietzsche ever properly estimated its worth see note on chapter fifty seven what follows is clear enough zarathustra sees a young shepherd struggling on the ground with a snake holding fast to the back of his throat the sage assuming that the snake must have crawled into the young man's mouth while he lay sleeping runs to his help and pulls at the loathsome reptile with all his might, but in vain. At last, in despair, Zarathustra appeals to the young man's will, knowing full well what a ghastly operation he is recommending, he nevertheless cries, "Bite, bite its head off, bite," as the only possible solution of the difficulty: the young shepherd bites; and far away he spits the snake's head whereupon he rises quote, no longer shepherd no longer man a transfigured being a light surrounded being that laughed never on earth laughed a man as he laughed End quote. in this parable the young shepherd is obviously the man of to-day the snake that chokes him represents the stultifying and paralyzing social values that threaten to shatter humanity, and the advice bite, bite is but Nietzsche's exasperated cry to mankind to alter their values before it is too late End part three chapter forty six recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.